I wonder if you have ever found yourself in a situation where you couldn't quite see the full picture. I don't know if you've done one of those magic eye images, you know, those like optical illusion things, and everyone else can see it, but you just can't see it at all. Or maybe you found yourself in a situation with a group of people and they've been explaining something, and you're the only one that doesn't get it. And you need it explained in a different way for you to get it. I feel like that happens to me all the time. It's a very regular occurrence for me. Um, and when those moments happen, it's like you need a shift in your perspective. You need to think about something in a different way or see something in a different way. And that's going to be pretty useful to the, in what we're talking about and thinking about today, having a shift in your perspective. Let me tell you a story of a time when I could have really done with a good shift in my perspective, in my understanding. Um, just going to have the next slide here. Uh, Recognise these? Okay, anyone use one? Great. Okay, so they're almost obsolete now because everyone's paying by contactless payments through their debit and their credit cards. But I remember when these first came out, many, many years ago when these first came out. And I went down to London, uh, Susie and I went down to London to visit a very good friend, in fact, my best man, a chap called Sam. Now, I'll give you a little bit of context. I'd not been to London many times. And in terms of using the tube, barely ever had used the tube at all. So I needed a little bit of help on what I do with this thing. Um, so we got to King's Cross, we met our friend Sam, we bought our Oyster cards and we headed to the underground and we were making our way to a place called Balham, where Sam lived. As soon as we got off the train and we're exiting the Balham station, you know, you arrive at the barriers. And I turned to Sam, holding my Oyster card, saying, what do I do with this? What do I need to do now? These were Sam's words. He said, oh yeah, no problem, Dan. So what you do is you just go to the barrier, you pop it in the machine, and you need to lean over and speak in the place that you went from. <laughs> I'd like you to picture the scene. It's London and it's rush hour. I duly went over. I popped my Oyster card in and I leant over and, and loudly proclaimed, King's Cross! <laughs> I waited to see what happened. I looked behind me and Susie and Sam were about 10 yards behind, literally on the floor in laughter. And I kind of looked around me. Again, it's rush hour. And I just got all these people looking at me going, who is this weirdo? <laughs> Doesn't know what he's doing in London. What I needed was a, a shift in my perspective. It was a ridiculous idea. No way was that going to ease traffic congestion in London if everyone has to speak their destination into the machine. I couldn't see it. I needed one of those hang on a minute moments. It didn't happen. Or maybe I just needed an ounce of common sense. Anyway, it's a silly story. But what we're looking at today needs more than just common sense. What we're going to think about today needs a change in our thinking, a perspective shift. In this series, we've been thinking through the ways in which we can play a part in building God's kingdom. So at times, that's meant thinking about what our dreams are. We've thought about what we measure, things that we might measure. We've also thought about how we activate gifts. But today, we need to not be thinking about what can God do through me. And we need to shift and start thinking about what's God doing in others. Okay? That's the new way of thinking in this talk today. So not what's God doing in my life right now, but rather shift what is God doing in other people around me. We're asking today that we would open our eyes afresh to see people as God sees them, to name the good in them, to draw out the things of God that are in them and then give them permission to be that, give them permission to play their part in his kingdom. 
This was a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look together at some examples of the ways that he did that. So are we all following in terms of this perspective shift? you with me? Okay, not what's going on in our lives, but what's going on in others. If you don't get that or you forget anything, just remember King's Cross and you'll be absolutely fine. Uh, Let's pray together. Thank you, God, that you've placed precious gifts and skills within each one of us. Open our eyes today that we begin to see these gifts in others. That we begin to see what you are doing in other people's lives. Amen. Okay, to help us ground this talk, to help us think about this idea, I want to explore with you the meaning of the word education. There are two Latin roots to the word education. There is uh, the word educare, which means to train, to instruct, to teach people in the way they need to go. But another root is the word educere, which means to draw out that which lies within. So two quite different interpretations, but both feed into our word for education. Okay, Two interpretations, both represented in the word education. Now when I look at the life of Jesus, his words and his actions, he models both these methods. There were clearly times when educare, training, teaching, instructing, was taking place. Think about the Sermon on the Mount, when he's teaching all the people. Think about the parables. Think about the feeding of the 5,000 where he says to the disciples, go and find the bread. I'm going to train you. I'm going to instruct you in how to do this. Go and find the fishes. And then he conducts the miracle for them to see how it happens, to train them in this work. But there are also times when Ejusere takes place. So he sees something. Jesus sees something deep within his followers, with the people around him, and he seeks to draw it out. Draw it out. He names it and draws it out. I've spent most of my career in education, working in hundreds of schools throughout the north of England, and I've seen incredible educare taking place, training, instructing, filling young people's minds with knowledge, with understanding. I've not always seen amazing educere taking place, drawing out what's already there, the things of God within somebody. So often it's the area that can get sidelined. But for Jesus... Both these models of education were vital. He modeled both in his ministry. Now, we're going to look at some, but we're going to focus purely on edgesere, so drawing out what lies within. How can we shift our perspective to see people the way that God sees them, to see all the God-given potential in others and give them permission to live it out? Let me put it to you in another way. Uh, Does anyone recognize this picture here? Sorry, it's a little rude. Anybody know what this picture is? Thank you. It is the statue of David from David and Goliath, made by the very famous artist Michelangelo. And it's placed in a gallery in Florence. He was commissioned to make it. Now, he, he made this out of one block of marble, and it became one of history's most famous masterpieces. And it proved the old phrase that one man's trash can be another man's treasure. You see, when Michelangelo created David from this one piece of marble, it had already been discarded twice by two previous sculptors. Agostino de Duccio gave up on the project. After 10 years, it sat untouched. He couldn't work with it. Then it was picked up by Antonio Rossellini. He took a crack at the block, but decided this was just too frustrating, too much of a pain to work with. 
And when finally Michelangelo is commissioned to get his hands on it, the marble had been waiting for 40 years for somebody to be up for the challenge. It took him four years to complete this statue. And during that time, he famously said this quote, every block of stone has a statue inside it. It's the task of the sculptor to discover it. For me, this is a beautiful image of Creator God. Creator God has placed amazing gifts in every one of us. And a part of us as a community and as a church is to help us see them, is to help us live them, to draw them out, to create a new story for us. So let's have a look at Jesus, some examples of how he did this, how he modeled this kind of leadership, drawing out the best in others. Let's look at the call of the disciples. We're in Matthew 4, 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. First thing to say is that Jesus chose ordinary young men here. There was nothing special about these guys. In fact, they were pretty much boys. They were ordinary young men, and we know this by their trade, because they were fishermen. So to give you some context, the Jewish culture at the time, the education system was unbelievably involved. Basically, what happened was that young people learned the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And when I say learnt it they had to learn to recite it word for word. That's 304,805 words. That was their education in the Jewish culture. Now, if as a teenager you could do that, you were then invited to advance your education. And you were invited to sit under the feet of a rabbi to become an apprenticed rabbi. So at the time, rabbis would wander around and they'd have trails of young people behind them. And these were the chosen ones. These were the most successful, the most academic, the most scholarly, the chosen ones. Everyone else left the education and you got a normal job. And you were basically the second-class citizens. You were the failures of society because you weren't in that group. Up steps Jesus, already a respected rabbi, a teacher, and he chooses these failed schoolboys to be his apprentices. I could never understand why they just upped and left like that. It makes sense now. He chose these failed schoolboys. He gives them to permission to believe a different story about themselves. By doing this, by choosing them, Jesus is saying, I know you. I know who you are. I know what the religious system, the education system says about you. But I'm not interested. I choose you. And then he calls out from them what he sees. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I see you're not just fishermen. Actually, you are fishers of men. He calls it out. He names it. He says it right from the beginning. He draws out something that he sees in these young boys. He enables them to start believing a different story to what they knew. 
Let's look at another story, another example, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Let me read it to you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, a child of God. For the Son of Man, another phrase used for Jesus, Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what do we have here? We have a short, wealthy, and despised tax collector. Despised because nobody liked tax collectors, let alone the chief tax collectors. So the same thing with the story of the disciples. These were outcasts. This man was an outcast. He didn't fit in as a chief tax collector. And he's climbing a tree to see Jesus. But I reckon he's probably also climbing that tree to hide. He doesn't want to be seen by the crowd. He's an outcast. He doesn't fit in. And Jesus says very little to Zacchaeus. But he sees something much deeper in him. He sees you're a child of God. A son of God of Abraham. He doesn't see the, Jesus is going to be with a sinner. He doesn't see that line. He doesn't see that identity. He singles him out. He sees something much deeper and he invites himself over. And that very act draws out something incredible in Zacchaeus. Do you know what I think Jesus saw in Zacchaeus? He saw a heart of generosity. A totally different story to what Zacchaeus was living. He saw a heart of generosity. Jesus saw the God potential in this man, a man who was seeking acceptance, friendship, and community. And through Jesus spending time with him, what comes out? Blessing, multiplication, and generosity. A totally different story. He draws it out. Look what he says. I'll pay back four times the amount. I'll give half my possessions to the poor. Jesus gives Zacchaeus permission to believe a different story. Because he sees it in him and he draws it out. He names it and he draws it out. One more example. We've looked at this in the Hero Maker series already, but let's just go back to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, the point just before Jesus is leaving earth and he sends his disciples out on their mission. He says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
these disciples have gone on a whirlwind of a journey. Their savior, their closest friend, Jesus, has just died. And then suddenly they've seen the resurrected Jesus pop up in all manner of places, walking through walls in rooms, appearing in gardens. And then he's saying, go to this mountain, symbolic of a place where people used to meet with God. And even then, some of them are doubting. They're confused and they're doubting. And yet, what does Jesus say? I believe in you. I see something much deeper in you. I've got the authority. I'm giving you permission to go. You are fishers of men. You might think you are these failed schoolboys, but you are fishers of men. I give you the permission. Go. He draws this out of them, this edgesere, drawing out what lies within so that they can be a blessing and can be released. Three examples of Jesus in different ways, seeing things in people, naming it, and drawing it out. So why is this relevant for us? Why should this be important for us as G2? Why should we seek to see people as God sees them? Well, I think this is a model of leadership that is relevant for all of us. It's not just if you're a a teacher or a leader. Uh, It's not just if you're a parent. It's not just if you lead an organization or a company, whatever it might be. If Jesus did this, as followers of Jesus, we should be looking to do the same. Spotting the good and the things of God in others and being great at naming it. Being really, really good at naming it and drawing it out of someone. And also, the practice is totally rooted in the Bible. Just have a look at a couple of verses in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So this was a new church that had formed after Jesus had left the earth. And here was a message to them. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Similar for the Philippians, another church that's formed after Jesus had left the earth. Here's a message for them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's that perspective shift thing I was talking about at the beginning. Don't just think about what's God doing in your life. Look to the interests of others. What's God doing in other people's lives? How can we be good at naming and encouraging that? This is also in our DNA as G2. For years, G2 has always been about raising leaders, giving people permission to lead, to have a go, to serve, to draw out the gifts that are there within them and to reach out for others. And we carry that DNA here into this new community as G2 Burnhome. We need to help encourage and build one another up as a community here. I think it would be absolutely amazing if G2 Burnhome was known as a community of encouragement, was known as a place that when people walked in this room, they were totally built up, where things were named and were seen within them that helped them to believe a totally different story about themselves, helped release them to say, actually, there's something different going on within me, something that I didn't know, but someone else has named it and has seen it, where God's goodness is spoken over other people's lives and they're given permission to believe a different narrative. We can do this. We can do this by naming those things, the things of God, the things that God is doing in people's lives. But I think one of our challenges is that in this culture today, in this world that we live in, we're also quick to name the negative. 
We're all so quick to name the negative. Let's be truly excellent at naming the positive. Let's be really, really good at seeing the things of God in people's lives and naming them. But it's also not just about G2 Burnham. In fact, if you name the things that you see in the people you work with, in your community where you live, in your family, if you are good at naming those things of God, then you will unlock something of God in their lives. And it might be something that just gives them permission to start believing something different about themselves and to start living something different, a new narrative of God in their lives. Let me just give you um, some stories that might help you to understand how this can work. Um, so those of you who don't necessarily know, I work for the Archbishop of York and we run a leadership program called the Young Leaders Award. It's a program that's all about edusere. It's about helping young people to find out what those gifts and skills are within them and be led out to draw them out. Um, now, one particular boy that we worked with through this program, really deprived background, really troubled upbringing in an inner city school where he was working. And the head teacher spoke to me about him and said, he arrived at the school, he hadn't met any of his targets, he was way behind. Um, the head teacher said to me he was in her office all the time for all the wrong reasons, that had all manner of interventions with him that just weren't working. He was a really challenging young boy. The Young Leaders Award was doing some work with him. This program was helping him to think about others. And as a part of the program, he was encouraged to think about the work of charities. And every child in the class was given a chance to say a couple, two minutes just to talk about a charity that they were interested in. This boy got up and spoke passionately about the work of Dementia UK. It was the first time he'd ever spoken positively in class before. He spoke about Dementia UK. He spoke about his grandfather, who he was incredibly close to, and who had just been diagnosed with dementia, and who had just been sent to a care home because of the illness. He spoke about all the work of Dementia UK and challenged the group to do something about it. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. The teachers couldn't believe what they were hearing. They were crying at this boy who was speaking in a different way. The, his peers in the class, many of whom didn't like him because of the way he treated him, they all unanimously voted, let's do a project for Dementia UK. Let's do something. It drew something out of him that was deep within, a compassion, a kindness, a care for the elderly that nobody knew was there in this young boy. It drew it out of him, and then things transformed. He was then in the head's office for different reasons. He was booking appointments with her to say, when can we do something again for Dementia UK? He was going home and cooking hundreds of cakes to raise money for the charity. He was organizing events in school, and the change also affected his learning. He finished the school, his SATs, levels were way above what anybody expected. Now, I'm not just saying it was that program, but something happened within that boy with this kind of activity, naming something deep within and helping them to believe a different story about themselves. Uh, an example slightly closer to home, this is Bella's prayer book, Bella, my daughter. When Susie and I used to pray with Bella on an evening, we noticed that she just couldn't quite cope with it. And the reason she couldn't quite cope with it was because she put her fingers in her ears. We'd stand praying with her and she'd have her fingers in her ears. She didn't want to know. She couldn't engage with it at all. 
Now, we could have thought, it's a bit disturbing. It's a little bit of a shame what's going on here. It's not great discipleship with our daughter. But actually, we decided to think about something different. And what we saw was something very deep within Bala, which was a gift in creativity. So sitting quietly and praying was, was just, she couldn't engage with it. In fact, it turned her off. And we saw a creativity, we saw a gift in art, and we saw a girl that just wanted to be free to express herself. So we bought, bought a journal that we called Bella's Prayer Journal. We did a little bit of art with her. We spent a little bit of time with her thinking about how we might listen to God, and we gave her permission to go for it. Rather than sitting down and doing our formal standard prayers on an evening, she was released. It transformed her thinking and our own prayer walk with God. Let me tell you one more story. In fact, we're going to watch it as a video. This was a G2 story, in fact, from my own life, from when somebody spoke something over my life when I was a young boy in my home church back in Southampton where somebody named and saw some things in me, and it actually became a prophecy, so a word from God for me um, that I 100% believe came to pass. Um, Let's just watch this video now. Hi, my name's Dan. And when I was a teenager, a guy called Rob in my church spoke a prophecy over my life about the things that I'd be doing in the future. And I said I'd be working with children and young people, I'd be using music and drama, and I'd have to go out lots of places to do this work. But eventually the reputation would grow so much about what I was doing that people would come to me. Well, I thought that was pretty cool and just left that as that. But went off to train to become a musician, which was always my plan. Came to York, did a music degree, did a master's in music, and then decided to take a break before my plan was to become a lecturer in music after that. But in that break, I started working for a charity called Yo-Yo. I found myself working with children and young people, doing music and drama, and I was going out lots of places, out to the schools, to work with these kids. And suddenly, the schools started coming to us. The reputation about what we were doing grew so much, and it's amazing that that prophecy has been completely fulfilled. And actually, God really does have great plans for our lives. So, another example of somebody seeing something, specific to me, yes, but seeing something and naming in me that I knew nothing about as a child, but transformed my story, my narrative. Now, with every one of these Hero Maker talks, there's been a little activity of something for us to do to help us think, how might we live this out? How might we begin to do this? And we're going to do something called an I see in you conversation. Bear with me. Let me explain what this is. I see in you, basically. I see in you. What I've been sharing with you today is lots of I see in you conversations. Whether it was Jesus seeing something in his disciples and naming it and calling it out, or in Zacchaeus naming that generosity, or whether it's the story of Bella seeing something about her potential with prayer and naming and calling that out. I see in you conversations are just spotting something of God in someone. Naming it and passing it on so that they're given permission to see this and release more of it in their lives. Now, if you just look under your chair, you've all got a little business card. There's a couple of them. And on one side, it says, Hero Maker. And on the other side, it says, I see in you. See what we did there? I see in you. And we're going to have an activity where we're going to think about doing this. Now... There's a space for you to write something. There's a space for you to think about somebody, something that you see good or of God in somebody, 
and for you to name it and write it. Now, it doesn't have to be overly spiritual. It might be that you name, that you notice with a colleague, for example, that they always arrive on time. It might be that you notice about somebody that they are reliable. Or it might be someone in your family you notice is considerate, is patient, is kind. And you might want to name that, draw that out of them. It doesn't have to be overly spiritual. But it might be. It might be that God gives you something like that person gave me as a child, something deeply prophetic, that story that had a big impact on my, on my life. And the reason there's a couple of cards, because we want you to take one away, but want us to have a go at practicing and doing this now. How can we be a community that builds up and encourages one another? So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to look around you, see who you know here, and who you might be able to encourage who could you have an I see in you conversation with? Name something good. Let's remember that. Something good. Something encouraging that you see in somebody. Make sure you take that on board. Something good, something encouraging. What do you see of God? What are the goodness of God do you see in people? Now, this might feel a little bit strange, but it's just G2 in a different language. Because G2 exists to draw out the best in others. To encourage and build one another up and give people permission. Give people permission to, to believe something different about themselves. Let me just model this for you so you see what it might look like. Adam and Sarah, you've no idea that what I'm going to say, but can you guys just come up? Because um, I did this earlier. Uh, so um, let's start with Adam. I was praying for you earlier today. I want to give you this. And um, basically, I see in you wisdom. I see in you wisdom beyond your years uh, that I believe God's placed in you and that he wants to use within you to build his church. Sarah, I've been praying for you. I see in you joy. I see in you the joy of the Lord. In fact, I don't think I've known a time when I've seen you where you've not had a smile on your face. <laughs> and you need to know that when you walk into a room, you bring something of God's joy into that place. Okay? Thanks, guys. Really simple. But it might be even simpler. You might just want to say to somebody, do you know what? I just see generosity in you. And you might just write generosity. I don't need to give any more. don't need to give any explanation. It might be just say, I've just noticed that you're kind. Let's encourage. Let's build one another up. This is what the church is meant to do. To encourage and build one another. So um, I want you to just take a moment to pray, just to think about what you might do. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and they're just going to play in the background for a few minutes. When they start to sing, that is your cue to stand up and to go and have an ICNU conversation, very, or just pass your card on to somebody else. Let me just say to you, if you don't get a card today, please don't worry about that. <laughs> Please don't worry about it. It's more about the fact that we're trying this and we're doing it. We're practicing it. Because then you can go out of this place, back into your work, and you can have the confidence to do it in wherever you are and whatever your community is.